Hello, and welcome to Vintage Lesbians, a personal journey of friendship and queer history where we try to set the record a little less straight. I'm Shan, one of your hosts. And I'm Allison, your other host. And welcome to Vintage Lesbians. Uh, some trigger warnings for this episode. Uh, racism, discrimination, drug abuse, abusive relationships, and eating disorders. Yay. <laughs> It's Hi. Be a wild ride. You, you know what? It's not it's not all that bad. I don't get into like a lot of overly detailed description of it. Um, though I think we're probably gonna talk about eating disorders a little more than than I think because Allison, we're gonna talk about dance today. Oh, I've heard that that eating disorders are rampant in the dance community. They sure are. But Something... before we get into it, okay. How you doing? I'm doing well. I don't want our listeners to think that I'm always napping, but I did just wake up from a nap. You know what? It's Sunday. It's Sunday. Um, our home's mostly clean, and the dirty that's it, that is here is mostly on me. Because you mm-hmm. haven't been here, you've been doing two jobs. Yes. Two of them. Pet sitting. Yeah. Also, regular job. Yeah. It's been nice. Uh, so, yeah, nap sounds good. It was great. I had a wild dream. Did you? Yes. How, was... how wild? Um, Javier Bardem was there. <laughs> What was he doing? So it was like a post-apocalyptic future. The One of the ones were like, they select a bunch of rich people to live their best lives elsewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like um, Danger Will Robinson. Yes, like that one. Only it was a little more sinister than that. And like my friends and I got like forced into it and we had to figure out how to break out without taking any of like the medications they had to like wipe our brains Whoa, and stuff. Oh, that sounds... And my friend's Spooky. dad was played by Javier Bardem. Oh, okay. And he punched a leopard seal right in the face. <laughs> um, how am I, you ask? Pretty oh, good. Hey, hold on. Shan? Yeah? How you doing? Oh, um, I, I'm pretty good. I'm off work for the next, like, two weeks, so uh, hopefully we can build up a little backlog of episodes so we're not recording the night before I have to put them up. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my fault. This time and most times. I did fall asleep pretty early on there. That one's on me. You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm good. I am apparently going to go watch Game of Thrones with my girlfriend and their family tonight. Oh, have you met their family before? I met uh, their dad and one of their sisters on Friday. Yeah. Okay. So it's a whirlwind. Or Saturday? Getting to know the family weekend. Yeah, I Gonna guess. turn on the charm. Allison, my charm's always on. That's I'm like, true. I don't even I'm know like why I asked. Bruce Banner, the Hulk, always angry. Me, always charming. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, today I have brought to you an offering. Okay. Uh, uh, of Alvin Ailey. Ooh, I will accept this offering. Do you know whomst Alvin Ailey is? I didn't until that episode of Queer Eye. Uh, where he was briefly mentioned in the Jess episode, which I made my mom watch, and we both cried. Oh, yeah. Love and to weep. you've also been dropping some sick hints about him all week, so I'm excited. Let's get into it. I'm ready. So Alvin Ailey was a dancer, a choreographer, and an activist. He was born on January 5th, 1931, just 60 years and one day before me. I was just about to say, that's almost your birthday. I know. <laughs> You know what? I also did dance. Oh. Um, that's part of why I picked Alvin Ailey, because I, um, I grew up in the dance world. I was in uh, ballet and various types of dance for, like, 16 years. Um, so 
more than half of my life. Wow. Uh, and I really loved it, but also hated it. We'll get into that more mm-hmm. later. What year was he born again? 1931. 31. Okay. Yes. He was born in Rogers, Texas uh, to Lula Elizabeth Ailey, uh, who was just 17 when Alvin was born. Uh, and his father, who I'm not even going to mention, abandoned them both before Alvin's first birthday. Cool. Great job, Dad. Yeah. Really good. Good, good job. Great, great, great. Not to be a broken record about names. I love a good name. And Lula? Lula's Lula a great is name. a great name. Yeah. Um, and I say before Alvin's first birthday, because I found four different accounts that he left when Alvin was three months old, six months old, and one five months old. So, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Pretty early on It was before he there. was one. So... Mm-hmm. Fuck that guy. And they struggled in Texas quite a bit. Uh, They moved pretty often because finding work as a single black mother during the Great Depression was pretty difficult. You don't say. I do say. Hmm. Because it it is a real, real thing. Um, When Alvin was six, they moved to Navasota, Texas. And he says there was the white school up on the hill and the black Baptist church and the segregated theaters in the neighborhoods. Like most of my generation, I grew up feeling like an outsider, like someone who didn't matter. Um, And he talks a lot about feeling isolated and and an outsider. Um, And it also shows up a lot in his work later in life. In 1942, when Ailey was 11 years old, uh, he and his mother left Texas for Los Angeles where Lula heard there was good work to be found supporting the war effort. However, they didn't go at the same time. Uh, Lula left first, and Alvin stayed in Texas to finish out his school year, and then he took a train on his own to join his mother, uh, who had found a job at an aircraft factory. And I... How how fucking scary... He was 11? Yeah, how fucking scary would that have been? That would have been terrifying. In the country at the time, going through rural Texas... Mm-hmm. to get to california as a little black boy do you know if he was staying with anyone during those months i couldn't find okay yeah but um, yeah but i wow. mean he must have been yeah i'm assuming church mm-hmm. um uh when he first got to los angeles they lived in a predominantly white school district um which made alvin feel very isolated and very afraid as one of only like three or four black students wasn't technically segregated um the same uh, way our schools nowadays aren't technically segregated uh yeah (laughs) yep just like that but they moved pretty quickly to a different school district uh, a more predominantly black school district uh, where alvin really started to thrive and school became a haven for him and he spent most of his time there he sang in the glee clubs um, he spent hours in the library and excelled in studying languages and he also uh, played football, though not on the school team. He did join the school gymnastics team uh, and started taking tap dance lessons from a neighbor because he admired Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. Who doesn't? Right? Yeah. Like, honestly, if you ever, if you have like five minutes, look up videos of Gene Kelly and Fred Astaire dancing together and just like watch the differences in what they're doing because they're they're performing the exact same mm-hmm. steps. But Fred Astaire is like over the over the front of his feet, and he's like floating around the stage. Yeah. And Gene Kelly is very much he's, on he's his heels. He's he's solid and on the ground. But they're doing the exact same thing, but just the difference in their body language. And oh god, I could talk about it for a long time, but I won't because we're not. That's not talking what we're here about to talk about. <laughs> but it is cool, and you should watch it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alvin's interest in dance only grew uh, when a friend took him to a modern dance school run by Lester Horton. Uh, Horton's Dance Company was the first non-segregated dance company in America. Uh, He hired uh, black dancers, white dancers, Asian dancers, anybody. Was Lester Horton a white person? He was indeed. Ah. I thought so, because if you have the power to make that kind of change, you're usually a white person. Generally, yes. Ailey attended Horton's school for just one month before he left, uh, because he was unsure of what opportunities he could realistically expect to have as a black dancer. Uh, But within that month, he did catch Lester Horton's eye in a major way. Um, He graduated high school in 1948 and considered becoming a teacher. Um, He attended the University of California uh, in their languages program for about, I think, just a couple semesters. Because in 1949, Lester Horton offered him a full scholarship to come back to the dance school, uh, which he did for a year before he left again (laughs) uh, to attend San Francisco State College. And he was only there for a short while, uh, supporting himself by dancing in nightclubs before he returned to Horton School to finish his training. And he studied styles ranging from classical ballet to Native American dance to hip hop to jazz, literally studied everything and he also mastered them very quickly he had very very good muscle memory it makes sense to me that he would drop out a couple times because i'm guessing he wasn't getting a lot of messages from the community of like yes you should definitely pursue this because it's going to be financially responsible for you yeah uh that's not the only reason he dropped out a bunch and we'll get into it in just a moment here after completing his training uh with horton he joined the dance company and also found work in at least one movie before the age of 21. Uh, For the first two years that he danced with Lester Horton's company, he did not tell his mother. Ah. The night she found out, finding him in his dressing room in full stage makeup, she slapped his face. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, He kept a lot of his life secret from her, including the fact that he was gay. Did she know that he was in dance school during that time? Uh, I don't know. I could not find Mm -hmm. out. Um, Seems unlikely. He has an autobiography, but I could not find any uh, snippets of it online, Mm -hmm. um, which is what I normally try to do. And you say that she didn't know he was gay. No. In the 40s and 50s. No. I'm not going to say I'm surprised. But you're sad? I'm a little sad. Let's keep going. Yes. In 1953, when Alvin was just 22 years old, uh, the Horton Dance Company traveled east um, and Horton was with them, and he died rather suddenly. And Alvin... Took... Thought we were talking about Alvin for a second. Nope. <laughs> I was like, oh, and this concludes no. our episode. Uh, Alvin took over as the company's artistic director. Um, unfortunately, his first two pieces that he choreographed sort of in Horton's style uh, received um, pretty bad reviews, and the troupe broke up shortly after. Oh. It didn't really stymie Ailey's career at all. Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like he was trying to copy Horton's style and he needs to copy a little his own bit style. yeah exactly exactly um he moved to new york and a broadway producer invited him to dance in the house of flowers um on broadway um his broadway debut <laughs> take that I again i know it's debut <laughs> okay <laughs> just it's funny to say debut <laughs> Anyway, um, uh, from the mid-50s to the early 60s, he appeared in dozens of musicals, both on and off-Broadway. In 1958, he and another dancer, whose name I couldn't find, who was also interested in choreography, 
uh, recruited dancers for several concerts at the 92nd Street Young Men's and Young Women's Hebrew Association in New York City, which is where modern dances and new works of the time were seen. Um, his first major work, Blues Suite, drew a lot of praise, so he scheduled a second concert of original work, and then a third. Uh, that third one uh, was called Revelations, and it's probably the most popular uh, work of ballet in the 20th century, like to be mm. created in the 20th century. His work was deeply inspired by music, specifically blues and jazz, and uh, Revelations uh, was actually set to the music of Duke Ellington, um, and it gave a lot of insight to um, African-American religious life and gospel. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I've been looking at tickets to like Alvin Ailey pieces and <laughs> dreaming. <laughs> Let me know if you find a yep. reasonably priced one. We can take a field trip. Hell yeah, hell yeah. We call hanging out together field trips. Yes, we do, and adventures, um, <laughs> because they are. Um, so in 1959, um, he established the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, which was a group of eight black dancers. And just one year later, they were the resident dance company at the Clark Center for the Performing Arts in New York City. Wow. He was 28-ish at that time? Yeah. Doing some math in my head? Yep. Wow. What have I done with my life? Okay, I'm back. You're fine. <laughs> We can't all be Alvin Ailey's. That's fair. He did desegregate his theater fairly quickly. He prided himself on hiring dancers, composers, and choreographers based on talent alone, filling his studios with people of all races. But at the same time, he really wanted to give black dancers opportunities that he didn't have mm -hmm. um, and opportunities that they wouldn't have anywhere else. Yeah. In 1962, the U.S. State Department funded the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater's first overseas tour, um, and Alvin was thrilled, but he did suspect that they did it more for propaganda than altruism. That like seems saying, pretty in yeah. line with the State Department. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, look, an all-black dance troupe can thrive here in America, so we must not be so bad. <laughs> no, you're still pretty shitty. <laughs> um, uh, Alvin did struggle a lot with his weight as a dancer, and he stopped dancing in the mid-1960s to choreograph full-time, as well as to deal with the business end of his dance company. And here I would love to just have a little quick chat about the unhealthy and often very harmful body standards uh, that young dancers are held to. I wasn't a young dancer. I have seen a fair amount of television shows and movies based in dance studios. Have you seen the Australian one? Dance Academy? Yes. yes that's mm -hmm. my favorite. Have you it's seen pretty the movie accurate. that came out? I did not, but I need we'll to. watch it later. I may, anyway. I may have. I don't remember. But um, it's fairly accurate. Mm -hmm. um, it's not... It felt kind of real. Yeah. Um, mean, a lot up. of young dancers, when they start to go through puberty, when they start to put on weight, because um, you start dancing when you're very young, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, and then your body starts to change and it's no longer a quote unquote dancer's body. Yeah. Like you start to fill out, you start to put on weight in places. Um, you're no longer, you no longer have that long lean line and then, and ballet especially is all about the line, um, and creating that line and think like, think about it. Girls are wearing tights and leotards. Mm -hmm. They leave nothing to the imagination ostensibly. So your teacher can see that you're performing these complex and often dangerous things correctly so you're not hurting yourself. Although, if that were true, the boys would also be wearing the leotards and the tights, so, like, eat my ass a little bit. Yeah. Um, they, like, they, they are wearing form-fitting things, but they're not as form-fitting. 
Yeah. It's just like, it's definitely, come on. Yeah. But a lot of young dancers will develop eating disorders when their bodies start to change, um, putting, putting themselves under enormous pressure to be the right kind of skinny, the right kind of short, because if you're too tall, you can't be a prima ballerina. Mm-hmm. If you're too fat, quote unquote, you can't be a prima ballerina. And when I say fat, I mean over 105 pounds. Mm-hmm. And that is because like another human person is lifting you and they have to do it and look like they're doing it with no effort at all. Mm-hmm. But very few bodies look like that. Yeah. Very few bodies are shaped like that. Trying to shape your body into that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Not all ballet has to lead to prima ballerina professional status and I think it would be really helpful if we had more ballet studios that were more about okay let's exercise let's treat our bodies right let's make these beautiful shapes but let's be aware that like you're not going to look like this specific person this specific person is sort of a genetic freak Mm -hmm. not all ballerinas can be genetic freaks yeah you're going to develop hips and boobs Mm -hmm. and shoulders yeah I'm trying to think of what the male equivalent is, so I said shoulders, but I feel like strong shoulders are probably still okay. Yeah, there, there, there is still, still, there's, there's a similar strain on, um, young male ballerinas, but not nearly as much because they do still have to be quite strong and muscular. Mm -hmm. But still, if you gain like a little bit of weight. Yeah, you're, you're still, you're still wearing like very tight form fitting clothing Mm -hmm. where you, and you're looking in a huge mirror all the time. Throughout, I don't know if, if any of you who are listening have ever taken a ballet class or been in a dance studio, but at least one of the walls usually is a full mirror. And as someone who didn't really like to look at themselves growing up, that was hard because I was always the biggest one in my ballet class, always. Um, I think with one or two exceptions. Um, and it was really hard to see like these very, very thin, petite, quote unquote, perfect ballerina body girls all around me when I felt like a lumpy, gross mess. Because I didn't really need to look at myself in a mirror to know that I was doing something right. Like, it's pretty easy to tell if you're doing something wrong because it starts to hurt in a bad way. Hmm. Also, the teacher is there to say, hey, you're doing that wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it's frustrating. Um, I took one or two ballet classes, but I was much smaller because I was a child. Yeah. infant child. Not yeah. an infant, you know. Yeah. Like, maybe like three, four. Uh, I want to say like seven, eight. Mm. Six. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right around when people start getting like bitchy. <laughs> I in don't... ballet, at least. I don't know. I was in like the same studio for years. It was real clicky. Yeah. I don't really remember it very well. <laughs> I know at one point I did a, dan- did a dance to Pinocchio and I had spangly suspenders and i was very excited about it that's adorable yes one time i did a tap dance to how much is that doggy in the window that's adorable and at the front of the stage we all had our little stuffed doggies that was our prop for the dance we all knew who our doggy was and we ran forward at the part of the dance to get our doggies and the girl next to me took my fucking doggy (laughs) what yeah it started all the way over at the other side of the stage and and so i didn't have a doggy so i kept gonna take her doggy i kept dancing for a little bit no because everyone it would like it was like missing one button and keep buttoning it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. One girl at the end got the wrong doggy, so. Yeah. Um, so I kept dancing for a little bit, and then I stopped because we, we needed the doggy for the dance. Mm-hmm. And then I ran over to my teacher, and I said, I don't have a doggy or something. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, go keep dancing. So I went back, and I kept dancing, and I just pretended I had a doggy. 
And then, like, ten seconds later, a little stuffed doggy came flying across the front of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran forward, and I got it, and I kept dancing. And that um, uh, uh, ballet, uh, or that dance studio still uses, uh, like, a clip of that in their <laughs> in their dance montage years later. I was literally three years old. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that uh, costume. It's under my bed right now. I'll show it to you later. It's I'm excited. real cute. But, yes. We were talking about harmful body expectations for young girls, um, especially for young girls and young men going through puberty. It's not safe. It's not helpful. So um, if your kid's in ballet, make sure you're talking to them about that stuff, especially if they're in ballet, but if they're in all other kinds of dance too, because there's a lot of body image stuff and there's a lot of really like, oh, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. You know, just talk to your kids about that stuff regardless. Yeah. But but especially if if they're doing something that is focused on aesthetics and body shape mm-hmm. instead of athletics and fun having. Yes. And make good creative thing. Yeah. Okay. Back to Alvin Ailey's life. Tell me. In 1969, Alvin Ailey founded the Alvin Ailey American Dance Center, now known as the Ailey School, uh, which provided arts and dance to under-resourced communities. And that school is still open and trains over... 3,500 young dancers a year. It is the largest dance center of its kind in New York City. Oh, wow. I'm having trouble thinking of something to say about that. We'll cut that part out. I will cut that part out. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that is mostly where his activism was, was making sure that um, young, underprivileged kids could get access to dance because he acknowledged that it was important. And it is. Mm-hmm. Expressive movement is important. Watch a toddler move around. They are dancing most of the time. It's great. And then they learn to stop dancing because humans are monsters. I have a lot of opinions. (laughs) That's good. Um, Alvin's Dance Theater uh, had the privilege of training the leading black soloist of modern dance uh, at the time, Judith Jameson. She's a living legend. She sounds familiar. She speaks of Ailey as a great teacher and his piece, Cry, uh, which was dedicated to black women everywhere, and especially his mother, uh, was one of her signature pieces. Ailey created um, pieces for stage and screen um, and other dance troops as well. He was a prolific choreographer. Um, and he was even invited to guest choreograph for the American Ballet Theater in 1970. He was very excited to work with some of the best dancers in the world. But unfortunately... ABT insisted that the lead in that piece be danced by the only black man in the company um, whom was described as a conspicuously mediocre dancer. Oh. Yeah. Ailey's dance technique combined uh, the long, lean lines of ballet with the drama of modern movement, uh, which created a very expressive and theatric style style of dance. Um, He also encouraged dancers to infuse his choreography with their own individual styles and personal talents. That seems really smart to me. Yeah, it led to a shift in the very strict, like, dancer-choreographer, dancer-dance-coach paradigm. He kind of became, like, a big jazz band conductor. Kind of like um, comedy movies that have scripts written, but then actors improvise over them, Mm -hmm. uh, rather than, like, a drama with a very strict, you have to say these words. You're allowed to put your own mark on it. Yeah, spin on it. Which, in turn, makes it more personal. Yeah, it does, and and more accessible, because his... this happened especially because his dancers came to him from all different dance backgrounds and all different styles, and he didn't train in any one unique style. He just 
you know, choreographed these dances and allowed them to kind of shine through. Ailey's dance company was both publicly and privately funded, uh, but they struggled with money even as it brought, even as they brought in large audiences all around the world. Uh, largely, I'm speculating due to Ailey's trusting the wrong people over and over again. Um, he was adored by his dancers and his many friends. He was kind of the father figure of the company, but he was abused by a lot of people in his um, professional and personal life, specifically by romantic partners um, and people whom he trusted money with. Uh, they took advantage of him a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is also speculation, but I allowed myself to get taken advantage of a lot because I felt like I didn't belong anywhere and I was so desperate for people to like want and accept me that I would kind of put up with anything mm-hmm. uh, and I'm guessing that was his experience as well yeah that's what popped into my mind because I've had similar yeah things. yeah therapist and I have been talking a lot about attachment theory mm. and Neat. yeah it sounds pretty accurate yeah I, I think the relationship he had with his mother um probably led to that in a lot of ways uh they were the most popular dance company in America by the late 70s, but the Alvin Ailey Theater didn't have proper management or a permanent home until 1979 when they moved into facilities in the Broadway district of Manhattan. In 1977, the NAACP awarded Ailey the Spingarn Medal for Outstanding Achievement by an African American, and in 1988, he received the Kennedy Center Honors. And even as his successes grew, um, Ailey became kind of erratic. He was addicted to cocaine. He was dependent on lithium. Um, and he was developing pretty severe arthritis, which slowed him down a lot. Yeah. That's really hard for anyone, but especially a dancer. Yeah. yeah. He was deeply ashamed of being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, he remained in the closet for almost all of his life. His works, however, um, used queer imagery, both gay and lesbian, Um, and sensuality in a way that captured audiences and still resonates today. And because of this shame, he refused for years to write an autobiography, saying that his mother wouldn't like it. And eventually he did collaborate on one, but it was completely stripped and sanitized of all mentions of sexuality or romance. Do you know if he was out, like, to his friends? I think he was probably out to some people. Mm -hmm. I doubt that he was out publicly though and he definitely wasn't out to his mother yeah the past few weeks we've been talking about a lot of people who knew they were gay early and sort of owned it yeah and so yeah this is a harder this is a harder story Mm -hmm. it's a harder pill to swallow but this is also you know part of Mm -hmm. yeah you forget you're talking about like the 60s and 70s for a minute yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like the dance world would have been more accepting but even if it's marginally more accepting, the major society is very much not. And it sounds like his mom very much wasn't as yeah. well. Um, he died in 1989 on December 1st. Uh, he was 58. Um, and he did die of AIDS related complications. Mm. Uh, he asked his doctor before he died to announce that he died of terminal blood dyscrasia, which is not a thing. Um, because he wanted to spare his mother the social stigma of having a, a dead gay son. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1992, three years after his death, he was inducted into the National Museum of Dance Hall of Fame. And then in 2012, President Obama posthumously awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And now I would love to talk 
a little bit about uh, the racism and, gen and discrimination uh, in the dance world, specifically how black dancers have been relegated to jazz and hip hop and, mm -hmm. and, and tap, um, where like the pinnacle of dance, quote unquote, um, pure dance, uh, ballet is reserved for mainly rich white people. Mm -hmm. uh, ballet is financially unfeasible for a lot of people. You need special shoes. You need special tights. You need special leotards. Um, if you're in Royal Academy of Dance Ballet, that's a whole other ball game. You have to have specific colors of leotards depending on your level. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are the skirts, and then there are the costumes, and it's all of this stuff. Not to mention um, the tuition for... Not to mention the, the tuition. Uh, and on top of being financially unfeasible, it's often inaccessible to little black girls specifically because, until very recently, they did not make tights and shoes in their skin tone. Which is wild, because mm -hmm. it seems like the easiest thing in the world. It's for many, many years, um, black dancers had to dye their tights and shoes with, like, coffee and tea to get them to match their skin tone, which, as you can imagine, led to, like, splotchy dye that didn't look great, mm -hmm. and then you smell like coffee or tea all the time, which probably doesn't make you feel great. Mm -hmm. Like, when, when your friends can just go buy a three-pack of tights. Like, it frustrates me. Yeah. <laughs> Little black girls deserve to feel like ballerinas and princesses, too. Mm -hmm. It was only five years ago uh, that the American Ballet Theater promoted Misty Copeland to principal dancer. She's the first black principal dancer in American Ballet Theater history. I remember when that happened. Yeah. It's huge. She's famous because she's the only one. That's like, wild. She's the ballerina everyone knows because she's the only black ballerina. Um before her, the the very first African-American black ballerina um, was Raven Wilkinson, um, and she got as high as a soloist and stayed with that company for six years. Um, she actually became um, Misty Copeland's mentor at ABT, which is pretty cool. But we make this stuff inaccessible. Mm -hmm just by not having things the right color. And ballet isn't the only place this happens. Like, think about, like, bras, like mm -hmm. nude bras. Only recently have there been companies that make nude bras in, in skin tones darker than mine. Mm -hmm. It's fucked up. It really is, yeah. And once again, this isn't a hard thing to do. It's really not. It's... I love dance. I hate the dance world. Yeah. It's... I in okay. I grew up in Los Angeles and I danced there for ten years, and I think there were three black dancers in my entire like entire studio, mm -hmm. um, maybe four, but I didn't know any of them because none of them were in my class. And then I moved to Canada and danced there, and there were no black dancers, mm -hmm. even in my hip hop class. <sighs> Certainly, and I I never had a black teacher, not mm -hmm. once. I'm just realizing that now. Huh. <laughs> Fascinating. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's mind-boggling to me because there's such a long and rich history of African dance and, and, and dance in the black culture. Frankly, all of our dance styles, save for ballet maybe because that was developed in France, um, come from black culture. Mm -hmm. Like, and yet we don't want to yeah. share. We steal it. We put a price tag on it. We make it inaccessible. better, and then we make it inaccessible. Mm -hmm. I put better in quotation marks. I heard them. Yes. 
Ah, that's all I have today on Alvin Ailey and, mm-hmm. and dance. Thank you so much for teaching me about him. I knew a little bit about dance, mainly from the hit Australian television show Dance Academy. Great show. But it's, it's really fun learning about things from someone who has actually taken a bunch of dance classes and is passionate about the subject. I am passionate about it. I think that everyone should take a dance class once or twice in their lives, mm-hmm. learn how to move their bodies in, in deliberate and beautiful ways. Uh, thank you, as always, to Leslie for our beautiful logo design. Uh, do we have a plug from Leslie this week? Leslie says, sometimes thoughts and truth don't line up, and that makes it hard to see how much you are loved, but you are loved so, so much. Thanks, Leslie. Thank you, Leslie. That Your plugs beautiful. are always nice. <laughs> uh, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagelespod. That's L-E-S-P-O-D for even more vintage lesbians. Um, shout outs to our newest patron, my girlfriend, Joe, <laughs> <laughs> who I'm like a little mad at. But also, like, very, very deeply in love with. And I checked with them on whether or not they wanted this shout-out to be, like, thankful or kind of angry. And they said, do a mix of both. So here's that. Why are you angry? I don't, because I don't, I don't know. (laughs) If she had a Patreon, you'd give to it. I probably wouldn't. Okay. Not because I don't support her, but because I don't have a lot of money. Mm Mm-hmm. Joe, thank you. I'm not thank mad you, at you. Joe. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not mad. I'm actually quite honored that you support me in such a tangible way. You're beautiful and wonderful, and I love you a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and for anyone else who's going to support at the levels that get you shouts out, it's not going to be like that every time. No, it's going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be more professional and maybe a tinge of silly. We'll we'll check <laughs> in with you. Um, uh, <laughs> um, as always, you can contact us. Uh, on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, all of that is at Vintage Lespod, L-E-S-P-O-D. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can send us an email if you want, vintagelespod at gmail.com. You certainly can. Uh, and as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Do you want to plug our personal social medias? Yeah, I'm just underscore A underscore Shan underscore on Twitter and Insta. Yes. And I'm at Allison Humphreys, which you can figure out the spelling of yourself. Um, I've started tweeting more. I've done at least one tweet in the past week. I also tweet, and sometimes it's not political. Yeah. My mom follows you on Twitter. My mom follows you on Twitter. I found that out. So your mom knows that I had good sex the other day. Because I told Twitter. It does say in my my profile that I'm horny on Maine. So (laughs) she can't get mad at me about that. Yeah. I think she was following you because he said, you should follow me on Twitter on our podcast. Your mom's real sweet. She's nice. Thanks, Mom. All right. That's going to do it for us here at Vintage Lesbians. We love you so much. We love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.